Jim Crockett Promotions presents Ric Flair's Last Match. July 31st at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium. The weekend of StarCast 5, presented by CarShield. Bringing wrestling companies together for one of the most unique cards ever assembled. Main evented by Ric Flair's Last Match. On sale right now at RicFlair'sLastMatch.com. And you can catch the show live streaming on pay-per-view and Fight TV for only $34.99. Ric Flair's Last Match. Walk in that aisle one more time for the last time. StarCast 5 is presented by CarShield and also brought to you in part by ProWrestlingTees.com. T-shirts designed and sold by over 2,500 pro wrestlers. By Lenny Bockett, certified financial planner. By Powerbomb Pizza, pizza crafted and sold by pro wrestlers. Powerbomb Pizza, powered by Kitsch Data. And by Woolworth Theater, the home of Nashville's first-of-its-kind show, Shiners. Visit StarCast.com for more information. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Savewithconrad.com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. It made national headlines when it was announced that Ric Flair would be returning to the ring for one last match. And the story that unfolds leading up to that match will be told every Monday this month at 6.05 Eastern. We invite you to come along and witness the Nature Boy's path back to the ring for his last match. The behind-the-scenes discussions, the workouts, the promotion, the ups and downs, the blood, sweat, and tears, which will all culminate on Sunday, July 31st at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium when Ric Flair will step through those ropes and enter a JCP ring for one last match. Mondays, 6.05 Eastern, RicFlair'sLastMatch.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And, of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, the hardcore legend himself, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Con. I think whether or not I'm doing great depends on your honest analysis. Is there any nostril debris showing? Not not today. But there have been another... Well, I don't recall. Okay. I do remember seeing a tooth in there once, but it was like a long time ago. (laughs) That was a long time ago. Because uh, there just seemed to be one that would not go away on my drive here. Just really? a little remnant, yeah. And so when I finally looked in, I thought, I think they're just nose hairs, which I can take care of sure. tonight. But as long as our viewers know, this, there's no uh, uh, deers in the stall or <laughs> whatever the whatever the slogan is, you know, that it's not there. So what's your routine when you're driving down are you like a roll down the window and flick it what's the move what's the foley move Uh, well i am more of a tissue guy but if you don't have one you're in a pinch you check the glove box you check the armrest there is nothing there you're gonna have to use the old trusty finger i hate to say it because i have such disdain for people i see picking their nose while they drive but occasionally you have to when there's a higher calling like like the show here you have to do it yeah so i flick it yeah there you go. This is the type of content you're going to get here on Folius Pod. Uh, we're so I'm excited. not a knuckle deep guy, though. I'm just no. a, a thumbnail deep guy. You're not digging yeah, for try, gold. Yeah, just trying to get it out of there. And a boom. Yeah. I uh, 
I think we all have to do something like that first thing in the morning. Mine's a shower. I'm a shower nose cleaner outer. Just an old, old-fashioned Chris Benoit, one on each nostril. Good to go. I'm oh. not sure this is what people are. It's probably not the best way to start. Not the best way to start. But we're gonna, <laughs> this is us digging ourselves a hole. Now watch as we gracefully climb out. Let's do it. Let's I'm do ready. it, John. I'm ready. We're talking about 1997, of course. We continue to celebrate all things from 25 years ago. And we left off with your WrestleMania tag between yourself and Vader taking on Owen and Davey. And there's, as we like to say, a lot to unpack coming out of that show. The Undertaker is the world champ. He defeated Sid to become the new world champ. Bret Hart and Steve Austin had a a masterpiece I quit match. And now we've actually established Ken Shamrock as a top player in the process. Shawn Michaels is possibly looking to return. A lot of moving parts here. And it feels almost like a company, you know, fresh off of Bret Hart's meltdown on USA that felt like the beginning of the Attitude Era. That was right around the same time that the set changed. We got the Titan Tron. It's called Raw is War now. Did you feel the winds of change here, or was it business as usual for you? Man, remember, we're coming off a, um, a WrestleMania that, uh, that does not fare well at, yeah. the, uh, at the box office. Buy rates were not much higher than a normal than a, a, a normal uh, pay-per-view would be. So I don't think I felt those winds of change until uh, a time in uh, 98 when Vince had a talk with all the talent. He said in a way, you know, that he didn't say the times had passed him by. He said he had to adapt to changing times. That the uh, era of the, uh, he didn't say the occupation. Right. Uh, you know, the occupational wrestler, which would be, uh, you know, uh, a Mountie or a Repo Man, you know, there was no shortage of IRS, um, that those days were over. And that if we were going to be competitive or maybe beat WCW, um, we had to start bringing more of ourselves out into the characters. That was what I thought was the uh, uh, precursor of the Attitude Era. When he gave that speech, is that the same time he went on Raw and said, we're not going to continue to insult your intelligence with good guys versus bad guys? Possibly. Okay, because I think that was October of 97, but you think there was maybe rallying the troops sometime in 98, maybe? Yeah, I say, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Just my recollection. Sure, sure, That it was early, ah, hmm. Man, I... That's a good question. You know, it's whether it's a difference in twenty-four years or twenty-five years, I don't know. Um, if I thought it was ninety-eight, could have been ninety-seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just feels like with the new set and the new entrance and the pyro, and I mean the the brand Monday Night Raw was yeah. so well established for and so long. Probably, I think you could argue that also Mr. McMahon, Vince McMahon, becoming the evil Mr. McMahon character in the wake of the Mont- Montreal screw job may have been the attitude era as well. Sure. Uh, so I think there were definitely breadcrumbs, uh, you know, hints of it here and there. And then, uh, at a certain point it was just, uh, you know, uh, they just threw, nothing was left to chance, you know, it just threw everything out there and some of it stuck. I asked JR this, uh, several weeks ago on grilling JR when we talked about WrestleMania 13, 
you know, it, it did set uh, a really nice gate. I think it was the largest gate for, for wrestling in North America since WrestleMania 10. But as you said, the buy rate, not really what people were hoping for. Yeah. In hindsight, I think we all agree that Austin and Brett, man, they stole the show. They did, sure. But The Undertaker was this bona fide franchise persona for the company for so long. Of course, when Sean um, lost his smile, everything gets sort of turned upside down. I wondered in hindsight, and I asked JR, do you think Brett and Austin for the title could have closed the show? Oh, sure. Or was it more out of The Undertaker, it was his time? First of all, I don't think anyone could have predicted just how great that Austin-Brett match would be. And I know uh, when I was growing up going to shows, uh, the title was not always on last. Right. But the title was on last if there was going to be a big payoff or it seems like a clean win by the babyface. Um I think out of yeah, out of they want that first title to mean a lot. They want that to be the go home feeling. You want people to, in that case, to go home happy. There have been many times, many times for WWE, seemingly against their best interests, have sent fans home uh, frustrated and even angry. Um, but I, I think that was the right call to have that title match on last. The uh, Undertaker reign obviously is is a big deal for longtime Undertaker fans. So he had that very brief encounter with Hulk Hogan yeah, yeah. when he first got going. Uh, but now he's a much more tenured, established star. But it's also another main event of a WrestleMania for Sid. Yeah. Uh, the match was what it was. A lot of interference from Bret Hart. A lot of subplot with Bret and Sean. But the thing that has become urban legend coming out of that match is... Maybe Sid had an accident. As the legend goes, Sid shit his pants in that match. Ah, I don't know. I don't know. What what led us to believe that? Well, I think he said afterwards, I shit my pants. That would be... So... <laughs> that's usually a good indicator. Uh, first you, of all, we've all done it. That's what I wanted to ask. Yeah. Have you had a situation like that where you take a slam or something? Yeah. And go, oh, you sometimes get somebody calling in on a show, and that's or you know even at one of my events. Very seldom do I get the snarky comments. Um, but why? You know, one of them asked if I'd ever poop my pants, and I was like, "You haven't pooped your pants. You haven't tried hard enough. Right? Like that's just an exertion. You could argue that you should be there trying to do your best, to empty your bowels." Before any match, right? Um, but nature calls. Uh, nature calls, and sometimes you know you. Oh, there's a lot of exertion. Yes. You know, a guy who's been backdropped on the floor. That's a. Uh, there's no shame. No shame in that. Yeah. So, uh, so if Sid did indeed, because that's not like a hollow. Uh, that's not like a hollow refrain. That's not something you do just to impress the boys. Right? Oh, no. You no. don't come back and say, I, I remember pooping my pants against Junkyard Dog in a pay-per-view. Wow. And uh, he thought when I said, uh, I don't know if I used the word poop in the heat of battle. You right. Know, I'm maybe Probably not. Convey, you know, but he thought I meant that I farted. And I corrected him. You know, no, no, I didn't, didn't fart. It was uh, you know, it was a shart, right? Yeah, there you go. Thought it happens. I, this is going down a bad <laughs> <way>. <laughs> This is. Well, fresh off of uh, 
you know, the Undertaker's win, it's natural to think, where does he go next? Yeah. And since Brett was attacked or Brett was attacking Sid with a chair, it feels like, okay, maybe they're going to do something. When did you know I'm going to be Taker's first opponent? Oh, probably within a couple of days of that uh, Mania match. Uh, it was probably a, probably a Vince Russo call, you know, like literally a phone call telling me. I couldn't figure out wh- why we talked last week about the build-up to, uh, to Mania. It wasn't like I was on a roll, right? Yeah, you're kind of lost in the shuffle almost. Yeah, I, couldn't, I didn't win matches leading up to WrestleMania. Then we had a double count-out at Mania, so it's not as if I was being built yes. to be uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> an unstoppable guy, unbeatable guy. Um, I, was in the, I, mean, I was in the mix, and I had good history with Taker, so I believe that was why I was given the... I, I, I think, at the risk of patting myself on the back, I was a dependable guy to go to for good matches on pay-per-views. Especially with The Undertaker. Yeah. I mean, they knew you had history there, and... You're immediately established as being the number one contender the very next night on Raw, which is, as you said, kind of interesting because you're in a seemingly random tag team match, and right. here you are. Uh, I may go back to you know being Mister In Your House, a guy that did have the reputation for uh, coming through big when it didn't matter too much, and uh, maybe this is an In Your House match refresher course for all the people listening. Uh, who may not know what that is? That was the clearly the B the B variety WWE shows. I mean, it was two hours instead of three hours. It was twenty nineteen ninety nine instead of twenty nine ninety nine, um, and it was marked by this really odd phenomenon where the main event would end on pay per view, yeah. and then advertised dark matches would come out. So I think we already talked about it, but. It's worth discussing again. You know, the, the, the biggest in your house, well, I'd had two really big ones. The one was, was Shawn Michaels' uh, Mind Games was September 96, and then Buried Alive is October 96. Both of them are in your houses. and uh, we Back-to-back main events for you. Back-to-back main events. So I was on a roll fall of 96, um, and we end up uh, burying the the Undertaker alive with the help of uh, Triple H and uh, Bradshaw and, and and Terry Gordy. Was there someone else out Goldust. there? Goldust. Goldust was out there too. Thank you, Goldust. And then after we think we buried this human being alive, a bolt of lightning comes down from the scoreboard at Market Square Arena, Indianapolis. Undertaker's hand comes up. You know, it comes up. Jim Ross gives out another legendary, you know, battle cry. He's alive. The Undertaker's alive. His hand goes back down. Boom. And now the new rockers music starts and they take on the Bushwhackers. No attempt to rescue, let alone resuscitate the buried Undertaker. It's just, man, here you go. So it was pretty bizarre. But that's the way things were done at the time. Once you've killed a guy, the only option is Al Snow. That's uh, the only option. So it's reported in The Observer that you were actually not the original plan. Uh, the original plan for Undertaker's first opponent right out of WrestleMania as the new champ is Vader. But apparently injuries held him back from the spot. Or wow. maybe perhaps the office got cold feet after the way everything went down with Shawn Michaels. I almost feel like they went with you because they knew it would be a better match. You know, Undertaker and, and, and Vader had a match at Royal Rumble, and it was okay. Yeah. But I think 
you your chemistry with Undertaker was far greater yeah, than yeah. than his with Vader or even Sid or any of those guys. Yeah. I remember Leon getting in the car with me after he'd worked with Undertaker. And uh, for some reason, I hadn't seen the match. Uh, How'd it go, Leon? He starts laying it out. I was like, that sounds pretty good. It sounds like the match I had with him last night. (laughs) Come up with your own stuff. And he was capable of coming up with amazing stuff. But uh, I think he was, at that point, just borrowing stuff that he'd seen work. And Undertaker and I did have chemistry uh, that I'll argue was better than uh, the chemistry he had with Leon. So I don't know what the case was. You know, Leon did go down uh, in chasing Owen Hart after an Owen Hart rib. Yeah. Uh, Instead of just taking the rib, he tried to chase Owen, which was a bad move, Uh, chase him through the slammies, and Owen, in running away, tipped a chair over, and Leon went down, and that, I believe, was the injury. So it's maybe a combination of both. It's crazy to think that he might have had another main event match had, had the chair. Yeah. That's the ultimate rib. Mm. Um, it, you were even shocked at this and kind of questioned Vince. You wrote in your book, you weren't sure, do people want to see this again? Yeah. Because it, did you feel like at that point, well, I've done all I can do with Taker? And we know at this point we're still more than a year away from King of the Ring 98. Right. But you had had this crazy series of matches. I'm trying to think. We did the... Um, King of the Ring, yep. June 96. And you beat him clean. People couldn't beat believe him it. clean. People couldn't believe it. October, uh, August 96, we had another pay-per-view match. Boiler Room. Boiler Room, where I ended up winning that one, too. October. Um, you we killed did, him. You literally killed him. Killed him. Yeah, <laughs> killed him, buried alive, where there was no attempt at resuscitating the taker. And then we did another match in November, and I thought, okay, it's run its That's course. It. Yeah. It's run its course. Four at that time. And... Um, and we had a few left in us. We had a few left in us. It's crazy to think, though, you know, Shawn Michaels, if he doesn't go down, if he doesn't have the lost my smile situation, this is probably not the main event. If Vader doesn't get the chair tripped over, tipped over by Owen, this probably isn't the main event. Yeah. There's a lesson in there about being durable, being reliable, being available, being nimble, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember Corny... Um commenting that you know WWE called me on an off day to come up to Connecticut to get measured for a casket right and this is not the way most people spend their off day no. flying from Atlanta to New York WWE would pick you up with the limo guy when you went to New York um take me in there and and Corny mentioned that I never it didn't phase me you know yeah I'll come up I wanted to make everything as good as it could possibly be sure and uh, especially if it involves you laying down in a casket, right? You want to be comfortable in there. Yeah. You're sweating. You're, uh, the guys are going to pound on that casket. They're not going to let you out for a while. You might as well be comfortable in there. Yeah. Not something uh, almost anyone <laughs> listening to this can identify with. It's uh, better than being buried alive, Conrad. So having Taker being positioned as the top guy, they want his title reign to mean something and be meaningful. But we're also we're also bubbling behind the scenes this idea of Kane, yeah. and we're going to start to hear and see more of that sprinkled into this story. I wonder, in hindsight, do you think he got this match because it was great chemistry between you and Taker, 
or was it more because you had been positioned with Paul Bear, and that was the way to keep that oh, thing man, going? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, because I still had Paul, and yeah. then once the Undertaker feud is over, it's like the reason rationale for having uh, Paul Bear with uh, with an, another superstar, especially uh, you know somebody who's got history with Undertaker. It doesn't seem to have the same payoff. You know, there's not as much meat on that bone if it's, uh, you know, mankind against anyone else. Right. And that's why it was so valuable uh, for Paul Bearer and for Undertaker when Kane came into the mix. Uh, you know, that was, that, was, uh, that's, that was great stuff. We talk about it to this day. So on Raw, Paul Bear is going to act like he wants to get back with The Undertaker now that he's champion. And you're on the Titantron yelling that Uncle Paul should take you back. Um, <laughs> Had we been estranged? Was it- well, if you recall at WrestleMania, I mean, going into the thing, yeah. it was definitely you, Vader, and Paul, which is kind of a random duo. Yeah, yeah. But it does make sense that Paul Bear wants to be standing across the ring from The Undertaker. Yeah. On the outside, of course. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, there is a tease where Taker's going to hand Bear the belt uh, because he owes him from the past, and Bear's smirking at the camera to make it seem like it's a ploy before Taker punches him. And you come out from underneath the ring and throw a fireball at Taker. Oh, yeah. Sid makes the save, but man, Mick, now you're hiding under the ring again. <laughs> this is like their favorite rib to pull on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But you get to do your best Memphis impression and, and throw a fireball. Or as Cornette says, you don't throw a fireball, you present You a present fire- the fireball, right? Yeah. If you try to throw it, uh, no good comes out. You present it. It's almost like if you're a magician, the fireball is your dove, right? Yeah. You want to boom. Release it. And oh, I give uh, Lawler's king of Lawler and, and Eddie Gilbert. And Eddie grew up, you know, just idolizing Lawler and loving what he saw at the Memphis wrestling. Uh, that's one of the benefits you have Lawler in a position where he's got to call this as if it's something incredible. Although he has personally thrown dozens of them, I would say at dozens, least yes. dozens. And, uh, pretty, it's pretty harrowing. You know, I, the three times I think I used it, I, I, you'll see at the end of this match, right? At the end of this match, I could not get the thing lit. My hands were just shaking, you know. And I mean, the same thing happened to me when I tried to light that uh, uh, two by four up on top. Of the, uh, I tried to light the two by four with Triple H, yep. Helen Nacelle in Hartford, February two thousand. Tried to light that up, and same thing. Hands are shaking. It wasn't like I was nervous April two thousand seventeen until I had that lighter in my hand, and then I was like, I couldn't, I could not get that thing going. But we should probably. Uh, address that as we proceed, right? Sure. That, one. that day, though, we're, we're on, on Raw, right? The, are, are you going through it with Lawler backstage? He brings the fire paper, or someone has yeah, the flash yeah, paper Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Lawler gives me the crash course. Sorry for jumping at me. Okay. The fireball that I threw uh, on Raw was a good one. And uh, it was a way, like, Undertaker had not, well, he'd been killed and carried off, so I, he had shown weakness before. But this was still this was still unusual to see the Undertaker in need of help. But it almost becomes like, uh, hey, what else can we do to him? You know, like we did the boiler room thing. Paul Bear turned, hit him over the head with the urn. 
Now we've buried him alive. Now he's come down from the heavens with this whole new look. It does feel like you have to find a way to innovate some new violence, yeah. right? Yeah, with all due respect, Tommy Dreamer. Yes. Yeah. One of the great <laughs> nicknames is when Edge deemed him the innovator of silence. Whoa. Tremendous. Whoa, that was good. That was good stuff. Tremendous dig. Welcome back. This segment of Foley is Pod is presented by Zen Nicotine Pouches, the simpler way to experience nicotine satisfaction and enjoy lasting change on your terms. Zen Nicotine Pouches are fresher, simpler way to enjoy nicotine that's helped millions of people achieve lasting change by offering smoke-free and spit-free satisfaction. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I needed to make a change, like when I turned 40. I knew I needed to make a change, but I just wasn't ready yet. I'm sure a lot of smokers and dippers out there can relate. And Zen understands there isn't just one right time to make a change. Everyone's timeline is a little different. Everyone's on their own journey. So whenever you feel like you're ready to take that first step toward change, Zen will be there for you with the right strength, the right flavor, at the right time. If you're thinking about making a change and want to learn more today, check out Zen Nicotine Patches at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. What do you think about the change in the product? I mean, it is getting a little more edgy. A few years prior, there wouldn't have been fireballs. You know, people wouldn't oh, have been yeah. saying curse words. So this is a little more edgy. This is probably more your speed. I think just two years earlier, uh, didn't WWE apologize for what Duke the Dumpster had done with a trash can? I believe that they came out, and whether it was Lawler or Vince, but uh, apologizing uh, to the fans for the content. And, like, we were not going to see anything like that. And now you fast forward a couple of years, and we're throwing fireballs. Yeah, product was edgier. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it, was get, it was getting there, and then that was catering to me. You know, I'd, I'd had the chance to, uh, you know, to tee off. I mean, yeah, you look at these crazy gimmick matches, right? Like, I don't think two years earlier they would have been burying someone alive either. No, you know, I no. think that that outdoes anything. Um, that's How much a, credit for all that do you give the NWO? And the pressure they put on us? Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, quite. Yeah, they were pretty ground, you know, groundbreaking, and uh, they were so popular. That, and they were cool, you know. We had to do things uh, to compete with that. So those guys jumped. Yeah, I think had there not been an NWO, uh, things would have been a lot different. Yeah, I think uh, Vince would have gone with, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. Um, but by that time, when, when I got in in 96, Bruce was in charge of bookings. And houses were going up. So uh, WrestleMania in uh, 1997 was in Chicago. I think Chicago or... um, Rosemont. Rosemont. I think Rosemont was chosen for WrestleMania because it was such a great wrestling venue that it was one of the... Maybe the first substantial uh, house show to sell out. Uh, And that was uh, sometime in uh, 96. Um, and that all of the, the w, all of the WWE office was there because it was a pretty big 
occasion. That may have been a scouting mission for uh, unless they announced a year in a, a year in advance, which I don't think they did at that time. So I don't know. That's just me speculating that they they specifically selected Chicago because. It was a great city, and as you mentioned, it had the biggest uh, live house that they'd done in a long yeah. time. Yeah, over eight hundred grand there. Wow. Um, so Sid making the save is um, going to bring us to another point. We talked about him and his WrestleMania maybe situation, but boy, Sid's been polarizing to a lot of folks in mm-hmm. wrestling. Yeah, they either love him or hate him. As a kid. He was one of my guilty pleasures. I thought, man, oh, what a yeah. specimen. Look at this guy. And the power bomb and, you know. Facial I, expressions. Unbelievable. But I never worked with him. Yeah. And I know sometimes guys didn't enjoy his approach to the business. What was your opinion of Sid? Well, I liked Sid because I knew Sid all, going back all the way to 88 uh, when he came into Memphis. And he came out to... Uh, I think it was a, I know it was a Leonard Skinner song. Whether it was called On the Hunt or not, I'm not sure, but that's the song. I'm just like you, baby. Uh, and then he was so, he was so charismatic for a guy with that physique. It was yeah. incredible. And I, I was, uh, I don't know, I think it was uh, Shane Douglas who told me that uh, when he did his trial match in WCW, as soon as he hit the one move and he got down on his knees and went like this, like, Ric Flair commented, and whether he said this is money, whatever the comment was, it was really um, positive along the lines of he's got it. It was clearly something they were looking for. But I think, Sid, this maybe this is just uh, urban legend that uh, when uh, he sat down with Vince for the first time and Vince told him about this plan to hand uh, Hogan's red and yellow oh, to him. You've heard it, right? It's, yes. it's, it's, he takes it all in and goes, what you need, Vince, the big vicious heel. Like he didn't understand like what a gift this was to be given Hogan's uh, red and yellow um, at that time. So uh, yes, it, I guess he rubbed some people the wrong way. I worked with them not not that often. I mean, um, I even referred, I think, in one of our uh, one of our episodes. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is where Stone Cold Steve Austin is complimenting me. We did talk about it because this is where Vince got upset over in Europe. We did a Raw from from Germany, I think. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was a pretty good match. You know, you're not looking to tear the house down. I have a five-star. Uh, when you're with Sid, you're looking to have a good, solid, hard-hitting match. Uh, and hopefully you do, in the process, you do tear the house down. But the next day, Steve says to me, yeah, hell, hell of a match there, kid. Uh, thanks, Steve. And he jumped on me right away about how awful it was. Uh, so I guess it didn't strike people as being as positive as I thought it was. Um, but Sid, uh, I never had the long run with Sid, so I can't tell you. You know, I, I can't tell you what it was like to be pleasant in there. Pleasant interactions, though. Yeah, they were all pleasant interactions. And no question, he was popular. And uh, whether he was uh, teaming up with Vader uh, in WCW, you know, that was a pretty impressive. Uh, whether the skyscrapers, you know, with uh, with Danny Spivey, you know, they, they were he did good stuff. He did good stuff. So I don't know what the big knock on him was. So let's talk about after he interferes in your match, it sets up that you guys are supposed to have a match in two weeks. But 
the match doesn't happen because he has a back injury. And the okay. rumor in innuendo was he got hurt at the gym, called the office over the weekend to let him know. Of course, no one's there to let him know. And, and then he played softball. Well, the story in the locker room is Sid just didn't want to come back to work after dropping the title uh, to take her at WrestleMania. And that makes me wonder, since now you're supposed to be wrestling him and they're getting you ready for Taker, maybe he didn't want to come in and do the honors for That's, him. There's a good, hey, there's a possibility, right? Wouldn't be the first time. Um, but people were making the softball jokes even back then? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. This is a different time in the business where... In it, Sid's defense, he apparently hit some moonshots. Oh, I... Would only imagine. Um, it's kind of crazy the context of the conversation we're having now, where there's a, a question Is Sean's knee really hurt, or did he not want to return the favor to Brett at WrestleMania? Is Sid's back really hurt, or does he not want to lose to you right after he lost the taker? I don't think we would be having that type of conversation in 2022. When do you think that switched, the thinking switched, where wins and losses? We're not as important. I'm not saying they're not important. Yeah. But it does feel like there's a paradigm shift where guys are mm. suspected of faking injuries just to not lose. And that isn't a conversation we hear about often these days. No, you really don't. I think it had a lot to do with the Monday Night Wars. Because before before the Monday Night Wars, it, well, you didn't get competitive matches all that often you know i grew up in the era with the enhanced matches on wwf i loved it Uh, yeah and it was like you know here's another uh mismatch and then an announcement would come on just over the match talking about the upcoming matches in your area and that's what we accepted that wrestling on tv was so under that you know that premise you did not want to be on the losing end of any of those matches I think, though, when we started, and I will say, when I was growing up, you'd see, like, Paul Orndorff and Brian Blair, and I I was probably 15, 16 at this time, and they would tear it down. Every once in a while, you'd see a really good match on television. Um, But when you started, out of necessity, having to add good matches, even main event matches, and I think it... You know, I don't know. I can't argue whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that after a pay-per-view, you're going to see one or two of those matches that you paid to see on free TV the next week. So we're giving away uh, main events or strong cards. But at the same time, the brand itself was becoming so big that you didn't have to. And this is one of the things I argue with JR over the money is that, uh, you know, when I was unhappy with a payoff and I'd call, he'd say, well, you weren't in the main event. I'd say, Jim, the shows are selling out before we even list a card. Like, this is, you know, I should be paid for being one of the cornerstones and one of the reasons people go out to buy tickets ahead of time. You know, other people might argue that wasn't the case, but I was the guy, you know, arguing on my own behalf. Um, But getting back to the competition and the good matches regularly, you didn't have to win to make an impression on people. Yeah. And so there were some characters that lent themselves better to losing than others. You know, I didn't feel like I got hurt from losing. Now, if Rick Rude, when he was in WCW, lost as often as I did, that would hurt a guy like Rick Rude. So there were some guys who needed those wins, 
all the time. I mean, that who, who would be hurt by losses. There were other guys who were not hurt by losses. I would argue that they would then lean too heavily on the guys who could lose and get away with it by having them lose so often that it no longer meant as much. But, um, but then, again, the short answer would be during the Attitude Era when the quality of the matches was more important than who won. So let's let's go back a little bit. Your comment about Rick Rude, you felt like it would hurt a guy like Rude because he was this over-the-top, arrogant, cocky heel, and you, that was his persona. That yeah. was his character. Yeah. And yours was more deranged. Because on some right. level, we've often joked about... Do you think Abdul the Butcher really wanted to win the world title? No, he wants <laughs> he to wanted, kill everyone. Yeah, he wanted yeah. to inflict. Now, Abdullah, he left uh, at the time making $1,000 a night in WCW was big money as far as like the true independent contractors go. You know, I was listed as an independent contractor, but I went wherever they told me to go, wrestled whoever they told me to wrestle, you know, had to change my attire once in a while at the request of the higher-ups. Uh, but Abdullah came and he wrestled for WCW. He still was going over to Japan. He may have been doing some indie shots. But once they offer you $1,000 a night at that time and your expenses are paid for, or at least your, your car is, uh, Abdullah made this comment one time. He, somebody asked about the good old days. He said, these are the good old days, champ. Talking about the $1,000 guaranteed a night. But yet he walked out because he was asked to lose to Goldust at a house show at the Omni. Now, Dustin Rhodes, you mean? Yeah, yeah, who did I say? Dusty? Goldust. Gold, Goldust, yes. So he was Dustin Rhodes, the yeah. natural back then. Um, that was... Uh, I worked I worked Japan for 15 months, and uh, there was some concern about the frequency that I lost, you know, at uh, independent shows, um, even in ECW. Um, it was a magazine business back then. Yeah. So you didn't yeah. want photos of you looking right. weak. Right. This is specific to Japan. Yes. So that if you wrestle a guy who was a strong in Japan, they would want to look strong in that match so that there weren't photos of them on, you know, in a compromising position. But you don't have photos in a compromising commission. position. It means something much different in wrestling, now. right? Um I guess there could have just been an understanding that you don't print those photos from the interview. You show the guy strong. But uh, it was a big enough lure, you know, the idea of losing. And Abdullah, like I'm saying, he would uh, he would lose by any means other than getting pinned. Right. He'd do the count out. He'd do the DQ. Uh, you know, blood flew freely. Mm, no, no, not that often. Actually, back in that era, it didn't flow that freely. Even though when uh, Abdul and I went our separate ways as far as, we, our, we meaning we broke up the team and then we had some wild matches. We brawled in front of the University of Virginia men's basketball team because they were just getting in from a, an away game. And uh, there was like 18 guys there. So Abdul and I kept wrestling backstage for another five minutes just to impress the team. And just because you wouldn't in front of... Other people, you wouldn't drop kayfabe and say, oh, good match, you know, we're, yeah. we're done. So we just kept on battling backstage. Tremendous. So back on Raw, you wind up cutting a promo that Meltzer would refer to as a Cactus Jack interview. Hmm. You talk about being on the road for 300 days a year in the main events and making half as much money as the pumped-up pretty boys that make in the first and second match. Whoa. 
Uh, where does this verbiage come from? Is this you? Is this real? This would have been me, and this would be part of the reason why they started scripting promos, because that's not what... I don't think that's what uh, Vince wanted to hear at that time from that character. That's the way I felt. Uh, I mean, I'm... That was a little more Foley, a little less Mankind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, mankind wouldn't be as... I think... Uh, I remember one time, you know, Undertaker stayed at good hotels, right? And I and I called him on that, and that's not really a spot you want the Undertaker in, so they just didn't air it. That was, uh, you know, when when the shows were recorded. So that line you had a line it. about the Undertaker staying in nice hotels. Yeah, uh, and I did not, um, and that was stupid. You know, they, 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 you don't like I was saying earlier. You throw a lot of stuff at the wall. Some of it sticks. Some of it doesn't. You know, and that was not something I should have been saying. Probably deserved to be reprimanded. Uh, the the Cactus Jack, yeah, that was more Cactus Jack, more Foley than Mankind. Was Undertaker upset about the hotel line, or just he didn't say it? But I just think it was thought that's not where what we. It's wanted. hard for a fan to imagine the Undertaker staying at a Marriott. <laughs> the Undertaker has like a layer or a dungeon, right? Yeah, 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 right. I mean, yeah, they even decided one time that uh, Undertaker came in. Uh, for the arrival shot, and he was rolling. He had a rolling bag, like we all do, but it was a smaller rolling bag, the kind that fits on, you know, on the overhead. And they just didn't think Undertaker rolling a small bag was good for that character. And they really, really look out for the, ca- you know, for the character, so that even when the dress code went into effect, he didn't have to. He didn't have to do it. I didn't have to do it for a while. So that in 2007, when they contacted me and said I was no longer exempt from the dress code, that that stung a little bit. But um, Cena didn't have to adhere to it. I didn't have to adhere to it. Undertaker. There may have been one or two others. We talked about occupational gimmicks earlier. Do you think Undertaker is the most successful example? <laughs> I never once considered him the occupational gimmick, but that is, That's yeah, he was an Undertaker. He is the Undertaker. He so. is the Undertaker. Yeah, I guess if we're classifying him as a, a no, no doubt. Although, could we make a strong argument for anybody else at this point? I don't think. I mean, I guess you could say Diesel. I don't. I don't assume that Brett was actually an assassin. He was. He did so. Okay, <laughs> that's what the special glasses were for. Yeah. All right, Mick. It's time. All of our listeners have been wondering when I was going to get you uh, smartened up about this. Are you familiar with Blue Chew? I have heard of it. Well, now you're going to learn all about it. This is like a hot tag for your wiener, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Are they going to use that in their... Yeah. Here's the deal, boys and girls. You know all about Blue Chew. Even Mick does. And, and Mick is is a podcast rookie here, right? But yeah. you know this episode sponsored by Blue Chew. You knew that as soon as you clicked play and you saw my name. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it's chewable tablets, and Mick, you'll love this, at a fraction of the cost. Fraction of the cost, really? Now, I like that. Now, here's the real reason on that, Mick. They have they are basically offering like almost the generic version. So it's the same stuff if you use Viagra and Cialis, but now it's in chewable form, which means you can take it on an empty stomach. You can take it day or night. You can be ready whenever an opportunity arises, or maybe it's time for that elusive run-in. Oh, right? Uh, yeah, Just, that's boom. right. The Good hot to go. tag, come in, the house of fire. 
Yeah, working from underneath, going over. I mean, we can get it all in here. The process is simple, guys. You sign up at BlueChew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part, Mick. It's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And I know this is important to you, Mick. BlueChew's tablets are made right here in the USA. The good old red, white, and blue chew. It's prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. But, Mr. Foley, there won't be anything discreet about your package with Blue Chew. So, uh, boys and girls, check this out. If you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free. Can you beat that price, man? You can't beat it, but you got to have the disclaimer about side effects, right? Side effects include smacking the mat. Yes. Firing up into a fighting position and saying, come on, and rushing your hair. Come on, you son of a... Yeah. Cut, cut. And if you're not careful, an accidental eye poke. <laughs> I mean, you never know. You just never know. Come on, boys and girls. Try this out for free. You can't beat free. All you got to do is use our promo code Foley at checkout. Now, you will have to pay $5 shipping, but why would you not do that? Why come on would now. you not do it? It's BlueChew.com. The promo code is Foley. You receive your first month for free. Just visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring today's podcast. And apparently, Mrs. Foley's baby's boy's baby boy. I don't know, but you're going home with some today, and I'm going to need to report back. I am a scientist. Okay. Uh, I can almost assure you that you are going to become my wife's least favorite person. Really? By virtue of giving me You're going to be pestering her all the time? Um, possibly. Hey, here's what's good about you in particular. Uh, you had three bites at the apple at the Royal Rumble. Yeah. I mean, I think if I'm thinking what you're thinking and you're thinking what I'm I thinking. I think I am thinking what I think you think I'm thinking. We start with, with Cactus Jack. Maybe we transition to Mankind. We finish with Dude Love or vice versa. Just switch it up. Just use promo code Foley at BlueChew.com. Uh, so Stone Cold uh, winds up taking Sid's place, and you guys go 13 minutes and 30 seconds before Owen, Davy Boy, and Road Warriors come out, and then there's a standoff. Uh, Vader's going to come down, but he winds up attacking you, and Paul Bear is trying to make peace. W- where was this going? Oh, man. I mean, there's chaos here. Whew. Is that where Steve and I had the really good match on yes. Raw? We had a really good match. It was supposed to be Sid originally. It was okay. And uh, Steve and I... We really bonded, and the, you know the idea of knocking Mark Merrow, who's one of the great ex, you know, former wrestlers of all time. Because Mark goes around to these schools, and he he gives these amazing talks, and he's you know he put a lot of himself into it. He extended himself financially in order to get himself on. He believed in himself, and so he's doing all these. He's one of the most valuable ex wrestlers we've ever had. But this is a Bless his heart. You know, this is yes. my uh, Welcome segue. To the South. Yeah. But but he, Mark had come in uh, a month or two after Steve. He'd come in just a couple of weeks after me, and he'd come in with a guaranteed contract that neither one of us had, neither me or Steve. And it was a it was a driving force. It really was a driving force. Um, so that it ate at me. And Steve and I bonded over this, and so when we had a chance to face each other, even though we were both healed, it was like, we're going to turn it on. And I remember thinking that we should get the sign from the referee that it's time to go. 
and it kept on going and going. We did not know that behind the scenes, uh, WCW had cut to a commercial break. And since our match was going well and the chemistry was real good, they just kept us wrestling wow. for an additional five minutes or so. And it was I remember it just being a really good give-and-take match, really good heel match. I didn't remember all the pomp and circumstance surrounding it or at the end of it. So you say that, tell me again what happened. So Owen, Davey, and the Road Warriors come out, and there's a standoff. And then Vader comes out and winds up attacking you. Paul Bear's there trying to make peace. But, of course, right after this, Vader goes on the now infamous Middle East tour. Oh, yeah. And, boy, things get a little sideways with him on Kuwaiti TV. Yeah. What do you remember hearing about that? We know what happened. Yeah, I was was on the tour. So um, they have Undertaker and Leon. Uh, being interviewed on Kuwaiti TV, which I think is a national interview. Uh, keep in mind, this is only five, five years after um, Desert Storm. The Gulf War. Yeah. So Kuwait is still very grateful to the United States for what we did for them. Uh, and the guy starts asking the F question, yep. throwing around the F word, the fake word. And Leon, I think he, Leon just grabbed him. And that's enough. He just grabbed him. I don't think he shook him. I think he grabbed him. Next thing we know, Leon's under he's under house arrest. He's uh, he can't leave the country. He's being brought up on charges, and we don't know how far it's going to go. Were you nervous for your friend? Sure. Yeah, that's territory. We don't. Yeah. You know, we've heard, you know, in the past couple of years about a nervous standoff on a plane with WWE in Saudi Arabia. And not a, not that I want to close all the groups in there, but, you know, it's far more so than when you go to Poughkeepsie, Poughkeepsie or even London, anywhere in the UK, anywhere in Germany. You feel like it's a different it's a different part of the world. It's to mind your P's and Q's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't advocate grabbing a presenter on any network, whether he's you know from. I had a great Jay uh, Kurt Kurt Angle and uh, Jay, Jay the the guy who did the oh man Jay Lethal Jay Lethal. Jeez, how can I forget Jay Lethal's last name? We had a great time on Indian TV. Everywhere they went, we were going on. Everywhere we went, they were having us on for two or three extra segments. So, you know, you you develop a rapport. But in yes. this case, there was no rapport. It was a guy, you know, who was Leon thought was making the business look bad. Leon wanted to put a little respect into it, grabbed him, and didn't leave the country for a couple of weeks. Did you talk to Leon about it after the fact? Sure. And he was scared. Yeah. Yeah, he was scared. And I think, um, you know, I don't think, (laughs) I think people were too tough on Leon. I agree. I mean, Leon, when he didn't go to TV after he got out of Kuwait, and the quote was, I need to go home and have sex with my wife, which is understandable. Uh, It's probably not a sentence you normally hear, though. Not a a sentence you normally hear. Uh... And I don't think it gained him any goodwill there. And that was about the, at the time when all this is going on with me and Leon. There was talk of breaking us up and having a feud and going back to the whole thing with the ear. 
which I thought had not been capitalized in WCW. So I don't know where that was supposed to go. It sounds to me, as you say it, like a big jumble. Yes. You know, it's not something I would have recalled uh, because uh, you and I have talked about how you tend to remember the things that went really well and the things that went really badly. And since this uh, landed neither here nor there, I don't have that big of a recollection of that schmaz, as we call it. Something I glossed over earlier I want to circle back to. There was an, an episode of uh, Superstars where you wind up putting Gerald Briscoe in the mandible claw. Is that a rib on Jerry? Did you give? I've heard through the grapevine a good old friend of ours told me that there were two ways to apply the mandible claw. You could get a friendly one and a not-so-friendly yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, Well, before the sock, you you had to make insertion. Yeah. You know? Um I'll tell people at conventions, you know, hey, can you put the mandible claw in uh, We're in Wisconsin. It's a no-insertion state, you know. I love that. <laughs> no-insertion state. You know, we're recording this in Alabama, and it is, in fact, illegal here. <laughs> you cannot do that here, even if you're married. Uh, uh, there are still positions that are illegal in some states. Including this one. Including this one. Yes. For husband and wife. Yes. Illegal. Yes. And we're not even talking like the dirty stuff. We're talking about just... Pretty elementary stuff. Pretty elementary stuff. That unless it's the missionary position, illegal. Yes. Yeah, crazy. Crazy that that hasn't been changed over the years, right? No no doubt. <laughs> it's a, uh, the Jerry Briscoe mandible claw. Would have been real. It had to be real. Yeah, it's on TV. This isn't a house show. It's got to be. But this is be. before he's a real character, right? Yeah. This is before he's a stooge. And when he went on to be a stooge, brother, was he entertaining? Oh, my gosh. Him he, and Pat were just Him and Pat fantastic. were amazing. Like, I think we should just do a whole episode on when uh, Jerry Briscoe went to New York City with Pat. Or when he was, he went from wearing the chaps and the cowboy hat and the vest, you know, when they were at a, a, a West Texas uh, uh, barbecue. And then he was on a quest to get a New York City hot dog. And I think that's when they ran into Samuel L. Jackson. So, yeah, Jerry, was he was so much fun to work with, both he and Pat. Uh, I don't know why uh, he, Jerry was he was just somebody who was there to break up the fight. And he ends up getting the, the mandible claw. Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah, there's a photo of it. And have a nice day. So, around the same time, there's a tag match with you and Vader against the Headbangers. It's going to air, and it continues this discussion between you two when you get the uh, Kabuki-style mist blown in your eyes, but you put the claw on Vader. Is there too much focus on, on getting you built up for Vader here as opposed to Undertaker? I'm thinking at the time, uh, I need a couple wins. Yeah. I need some wind in my sails. Yes. So that was an interesting day because I was still living in Atlanta at the time. We had not made the move to uh, to the Florida Gulf Coast yet, which is where I spent most of my full time with WWE. Um, and for one time, I overslept. I didn't come in the night before because the night before was Easter. Um I I missed my flight, and this is where I'm on the phone, and they said, we may have a spot for you on such and such a flight. I looked at my Rand McNally Atlas. There's no GPS at that time. I think it's five, 600 miles. Uh, maybe we could do some checking there. Uh, to Cincinnati. Cincinnati's where the taping was. Man, I got in that car. Off I went. 
So I told the office I was going to be a little late. There was no fine, you know, I, which was a good thing. And I made it just maybe an hour or so before wow. we went uh, live. And I do remember thinking, like, shouldn't I be getting wins? Yeah, yes. this turned out to be a... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Especially for a show called Revenge of the Taker. It feels as if he's I got... I need some heat. Well, revenge yeah, for what? Yeah, revenge for what? Now, when did I throw the fireball? Uh, well, that would have been a little closer to WrestleMania. Okay. Uh, we're a few weeks removed from that. But still, that to me, it feels like that should be maybe page one of the story. Yeah. Now you're continuing to do yeah. this and that. And you know, Conrad, to... It's going back to what I said a moment ago. I felt like I needed some wins. I couldn't yeah. figure out how this. It wasn't a matter of helping me. It's a matter of building me up so I'm uh, a no, threat. No disrespect to the headbangers, but you shouldn't have been in a tag match with the headbangers. Uh, right. Yeah. You, you're getting ready for. Undertaker. And if we were, then then it's their time for someone to have the talk and say, "You got to make these guys." You know, they have to put you over strong. Yeah. 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 So back on the Middle East tour. <laughs> where Vader gets in trouble. You put over Tiger Ali Singh. Now, this is something that WWE Damn was really right. trying hard to do in, in 1997. And he's always been a fascinating figure for me because it felt like there was a lot of pomp and circumstance around the character. And then maybe not so much return. What do you remember about your matches with him? <sighs> well, Tiger Ali Singh was the son of uh, Tiger Jeet Singh. Yep. It was a legend in, in Japan who I teamed up with when I was in IWA Japan for a few months. And his son was, he was a, you know, really well-built uh, young man, 6'6", 260, somewhere around there. And I remember him saying that his, his size, he didn't have to sell. And this was, uh, Gerald Briscoe said, you will hear. Because six, being 6'6", six, six, 260 or 270, barely gets you a ticket in the door, right? I mean, if there'd be a lot of no-selling if everybody felt that way. There's a time and a place, but, uh, you know, you gotta, you got to sell when, uh, you know, in, in that company. Um, there's a, it's another whole subject. Who do you sell for, you know? Uh, how strong, how how often do you go down, you know, working as a big man, but you, no selling is not an option. Um, but he came in, he did like the 26-minute segment. So he, And he started off, this is when they announced him, he said, I'm a man of few words. And over in, in Canada, where he's from, they actually did something, I think, on TSN, I think that's the network, where they, I'm a man of few words, and then they went forward on a clock, 10 minutes, and he was still talking. And then 15. So he t he did like a 26-minute promo. Uh, it was one of the gaudier. This is something we usually have, like something where Edge excels. This is along the lines of, you know, uh, the fe uh, Jericho's Fist Festival of Friendship, uh, me and Rock, you know. This uh, is your life. This is your life. Like it was something that epic in scope for a guy who's just coming in because they thought the Tiger could open up the Middle East to them. And that they were going to brand a you know a, a new star, um, and Vince was really way ahead of everyone else in understanding this was a global opportunity. Yeah, WCW had by and large their bread and butter was American television, right? And he was maybe the first guy to say, "Well, why not this country or that country?" And and it does, but it doesn't seem like Vince goes all the way with it. No, I agree. You know, uh, we have more WWE fans in India than we do in the United States. Correct. That's crazy. I don't even think it's close. 
And so... That's the reason their YouTube numbers are so huge. Is India. because of India, okay. Yeah. Um, and I know when I went over there with Jay, and, and Jay, whose last name is Lethal. Don't, <laughs> don't ask me about her real name, because I don't know about any of those things. Uh, and I thought Kurt, you meant Christian when you said Jay a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, right. And right. I was like, Lethal? Yeah, Because I thought for sure you meant Christian, but uh, we were using, you know, birth names. Uh, we were we were we had so much fun over there in India, but it was crazy just how popular it was. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, and to see just how excited people are to see you on the on the road. And I, 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 gave, I got that already. I kind of expected... Something along those lines, just based on the excitement I'd see from Indians visiting the United States. I'm not talking about people of Indian descent, but actual people from India visiting. They got so excited, so excited. And I guess Kali was a huge international figure, and uh, if this guy ever uh, debuts... He never will. You don't think so? You think it's a rib? I mean, it feels like one at this point. At this point, yeah. Um... But uh, but that was going back. Even though I don't think he's followed through like he could, you know just having a guy in the card isn't enough. You want that guy to be a star. Well, they tried a few years ago with gender. Yeah, they did. Yeah, but, the modern but, day Maharaja. Yeah, and I liked that run. Yeah, I felt me like too. the internet at times was way too critical. I mean, uh, this is a, a a good guy, hardworking guy, great look, capable performer. And I understood the business piece of, hey, we need a star, so yeah. you know, for that region. But it didn't work. Uh, and Tiger Ali Singh was maybe the biggest example of that. I think you know, the, <laughs> Owen convinced Tiger that because he won the Kuwaiti Cup, he needed to fly first class. Oh, he just said it was <laughs> or business class. It was an oversight. And uh, Tiger goes up, and he upgrades. And instead of realizing that he's been had and laughing it off, he responds by saying, that's chump change. So now you have a guy in his first week in the territory, or first couple weeks, he's getting heat, because $1,500 is not chump change, (laughs) whatever he paid. Back then or now. Then or now. And I think if he'd known how to shrug off a joke... Ah, man, you got me, you know. Uh, I'm not saying that was the downfall of Tiger, but clearly by him winning the Kuwaiti Cup, uh, did he defeat me in the finals at least? Yeah, he won in the, yes. Finals, okay, I made it to the finals. What I wouldn't do to have that cup on my trophy stand or on an eBay listing right now is uh, that would bring him a considerable amount? Ahmed of money, Johnson, right? Tiger Ali Singh, yeah. just the distinguished group of guys. <laughs> so the whole hierarchy of of who's flying first and who's not—that's a really unique thing to WWE, or so it seems. Yeah. Um, there's a pretty famous story. A great friend of the show, the Blue Meanie. Yeah. Had a cup of coffee with the WWF yeah, once sure upon did. a time, and. Uh, I believe he was afforded the opportunity to upgrade, did. You saw that as you boarded the plane. Did, have you heard him tell this story? <laughs> no. So it, you knew him from the ECW days. He's now with the WWF. He's offered the opportunity to upgrade. He does. You see that he's sitting in first class as you're rolling your your bag past him in the coach. And you know him. Oh, I see friendly. it. Okay, yeah, yeah. And you look at him and say, oh, Manny, No. <laughs> 
Like you don't know what you've done because he legitimate that was not a thing in ECW, yeah, obviously. No, no, no. So he was not aware that he is now the center of some heat because he's so upgraded. I wasn't angry at him. I was sympathetic. sympathetic. Oh, meaning no. no, this is not going to bode well for you. Yeah, you have no idea what you've done. <laughs> Uh, speaking of ECW, they hold barely legal. Their very first pay-per-view while you're in the Middle East. Obviously, ECW is something that was very integral to your success with yeah. WWE. And you had a great time there. And I'm sure we'll talk about it sometime. But it's not like you got to see the pay-per-view over there. When you came home, did you have a friend who recorded it and you got to see the tape? Or was that not something on your radar? I would see things uh, I, I wouldn't see. I didn't see. I've never seen it in its entirety. I know that at Joey Styles' house, at least back in the day, that was the one thing he had framed because I believe that was the first pay-per-view, wrestling pay-per-view done with just a play-by-play man. One guy. One guy. No analyst. Because Paul believed that he could do it. Believed that would make them different, and it, and it did. So I did not see it. I mean, I, I, was, I was always looking to see, I think up until... By 97, I was probably no longer reading The Observer right. because I told you that it could be unsettling. You come home for 10 days, find out that a match you thought was better <laughs> was pretty good. It wasn't rated that way. And then that could affect that one out of those three days that you're home. Maybe it could affect two days. So I wasn't reading as much. But, of course, the boys were always talking and uh, ECW was on our radar. All right, boys and girls, you know what time it is. It's time for me to tell you about chili sleep. And I was just telling Mick about it. And, and here's the thing about this, Mick. Science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature. And you've lived in the South. Mm-hmm. you got to have a ceiling fan in your bedroom. It's like we're required by law down here. Yes. Uh, well, here's the reason. Temperature-controlled sleep is going to repair your muscles after a hard day's work. It's going to improve your cognitive function so you can always start your day feeling sharp and alert. And that's been my experience. I have a chilly sleep. I've got the Uller system. I've had it for over a year now. It's changed my life. What I've got now is a customizable, climate-controlled sleep solution that improves my entire well-being. Now, they make the Uller. You can also check out the Cube sleep system. Either way, we're talking hydro-powered mattress toppers right it's temperature controlled it fits over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature let me explain mick my wife likes to sleep a little warmer right so her side she wants to be at like 75 i like to sleep a little cooler i want to be at like 67 yeah i get a perfect night's sleep at that but before i had chilly sleep mick i'm cranking down the ac i'm flipping the pillow now i'm paying to heat my laundry room i I don't need my laundry room to be cooler i need my bed to be cooler chilly sleep has made that happen this is perfect for you to get that deep sleep whether you sleep hot or cold chilly sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep stay asleep and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day real quick listen to this now imagine waking up and not feeling tired chili sleep can make that happen they've made it happen for me prior to chili sleep mick i was sleeping like five six hours a night with chili sleep i'm seven eight nine i even slept 10 hours once with chili sleep it's unbelievable to wake up and not feel tired sounds incredible because i'm the same way my wife likes it hotter Mm -hmm. i like it cooler Mm -hmm. i lose out of course lose that argument i'm a guy it's what we do yep and uh, a guy in a successful marriage has to learn to admit he's wrong, even when he knows in his heart he's not every Cor- once in a while. Correct. He has to learn to uh, 
make the uh, thermostat the wife's realm, but now we get our say. Well, yeah, man. And, and here's the thing, too. You don't want to wake up all hot and sweaty. You're not going to get a good night's sleep. You're going to get up and pee. You're going to be fighting with the covers. N- none of that anymore. So head on over to chillysleep.com forward slash Foley to learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new Cube or Uller sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for Mick Foley listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash Foley to take advantage of our exclusive discount. Wake up refreshed every day. Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? Savewithconrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at Savewithconrad.com. So we get to In Your House, Revenge of the Taker, and you're wrestling for the world title, but you're not in the main event. Ooh, the main event is Brett and Austin. Okay. Whereas maybe they perhaps didn't get it right for WrestleMania with the match order. They feel like they'll make up with it here. We'll rematch Brett and Austin, but that's got to chap you a little bit, or at least gives you something to prove. It feels like based on the interviews that you did here, maybe that were edited, you wrestled a lot with something to prove. And you even talked about that with, with Mark Merrow just a few moments ago. Okay, so I'm here, and I'm I'm wrestling for the world title, but I'm not in the main event. Did you feel like that was a taker thing? Like, they don't think he's worthy of the main event? Because he just made have been in WrestleMania. Or did Mick say, oh, I'm going to prove them wrong? You know, I think I would have been the glass half full guy, happy to be wrestling Undertaker for the title in the marquee match. Sure. I would, you know, I never let the company's decision on what to put when interfere with the importance of the the match in my mind. So, uh, I didn't mean to imply that, but it does feel like at times you would almost have, you know, there's this famous music story once upon a time where Jerry Lee Lewis is playing and they're going back and forth about who's going to close. He sets his piano on fire and comes backstage and says, follow that MFR. The idea being, I'll go on first, but follow that. Well, it feels like here, you could have been like, all right, go follow that. <laughs> well, you, you want to steal the show. Sure. I can't, for the life of me, I can't even remember what Brett and Steve did on that Revenge of Taker show because they made such an incredible impression a month earlier at Mania. So no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bite into that, Conrad. I'm not gonna. I'm. I still tell people, you determine for yourself what your main, what what the main event is. If you feel like you're the main event, go out there and prove it. Steal the show. Well, you did, uh, and we did that. That's the reason I wanted to key it up uh, okay. this way because uh, Meltzer would write this: it's the fourth match on the card. Again, this is the in your house era, yeah. so it's not going to be a ten match show. So you're second from the top. So Austin and Brett are going to go on after. But you guys get plenty of time. 17-26. Meltzer says, really good, largely due to the performance of Mankind, who took some hard bumps and took his key bump at the perfect time. So he goes on to break down the match. But the gist is, he credits you for being the reason the match was as good as it was. And he he really dug it. He gave it three and three-quarter stars. Of course, Bear is involved. 
but um, he put a lot of that credit on you. So, well, Taker's a rock, right? I right. mean, the rock. He is you. I think people took him for granted. Dedication to the character and the fact that he was going to be a big part of the success of any of those matches. Um, it goes back, I think, to the chemistry and that we complemented each other well. Um, that we did have a, a, a bump that had never been done before and likely will never be done again, especially in WWE because it can't be done with the, the tables they've had since late 97 or early 98. Uh, talking about the one where I, the lawn dart bump, where I went off the the apron yep. through the table, literally head first, so that I believe the lower half of my body was sticking up in the air, and uh, that was uh, it. hadn't been done before, hadn't been done since. It wasn't something we practiced. It was something I hoped I could hit, and I and I believe Richie Posner may have put a little bullseye in there, so that when I hit that table, it was more likely to create a hole instead of breaking in half. Meltzer would uh, say here, Mankind, um, Undertaker took over, smashing Mankind's head into the steps. Mankind got the water pitcher from Vince McMahon's desk and broke it over Undertaker's head and followed with a hard chair shot. It was pretty clear they're going for hard way juice, but either Undertaker didn't end up getting cut, or if he did, it wasn't noticeable enough on television, although the announcers did say there was a cut. Um... Mankind drops the elbow off the middle rope to the floor, and Undertaker's bandage came off his face, revealing an, undy sca- an ugly scab from the fire angle. So you hit a couple of different uh, pile drivers, and of course we all know about this crazy header bump right. through the Spanish announce table, but once you're back in the ring, this is where the whole lighter thing happens. No, well, let me just, we're talking about ugly scabs. Before we get here, there's, yeah. there's a part of this match no one realized it looked like something went wrong, and I was usually pretty good and ahead of my time at telling the director, Kevin Dunn, I believe, is the director, um, and, and we weren't as heavily agented during this time, so that you, the agents would come to you, and you would, you wouldn't, me and Taker would have had that match. We would have told the agent what we wanted to do, not vice versa, at that time. Now, the key bump here, one of the key bumps that I don't tell Kevin is that when I get my head caught in the ropes, I'll, the hangman, the same move that cost me this bad boy, and in retrospect probably should have been taken off the menu at that time, but I kept it on the, on the menu, went to it, and now when I get free, my mask comes off. I have not told Kevin, so they proceed to shoot around my face thinking it's a mistake, and I was trying to think, where, what does man? What would he look like underneath? He's got to be disfigured, right? And so instead of going the makeup route, which looks so much better anyway, I went the piece of sandpaper route, and I probably had a good third of my face skin. The skin had been rubbed off, which is going to take weeks to heal correctly. And when we have a chance to see it, we don't see it. Or shoot around it. They're shooting around it because they think they're protecting my gimmick. So I, w- I think I went uh, several minutes without the mask, and they never showed my face. So that was a key bump. That was something we brought to the And you table. wanted to leave the mask in the ropes, right? Yeah, like when I pulled out. I don't know if it fell into the ring or what, but I, I, that was the first time people had seen Mankind without the mask. Remember, um, it's going to be another few months before Dude Love makes his... Yep. 
uh, premiere, uh, I, I estimated maybe 25% of our WWE audience was familiar with Cactus Jack. Yeah. But other than that, most of the audience would have been seeing me for the first time when, that, uh, when the mask came off after the hangman. And uh, it's, just, it's just something I should have talked about. And yeah. maybe it's something I should have mentioned to them without going ahead and and please, if you're at home, don't think you're going to be like me, and don't do that. Oh it's no, like, no, no! It's you know you can get there much better. Undertaker's looked a lot more effective than mine did. And his was my. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah. His was, his was, his was. Well, the only reason I knew that is because they shot it. Yeah, yeah. So if they shoot it, it's makeup, and then, and it looked incredible. Yeah, it looked really good. Um, and uh, mine was real, and we never saw a single sight of it. So, Meltzer's Rochester, New York, I believe this was, right? Rochester or Buffalo? Revenge yeah, of the Taker, I believe sure. it was Rochester. So, you uh, you try to do the lighter deal. Yeah. Meltzer says, <laughs> It appeared the idea was for mankind to throw fire at Undertaker, who would pull Bear in the way and he'd get burned. They set up the spot twice, but both times mankind's lighter didn't work and they blew the spot. At this point, it was all impromptu as Undertaker made a comeback and got the lighter and the flash paper and wound up throwing the fire in Bear's face. <laughs> he just, he just, he didn't present it. He did, but it was right in Paul's face. And even the, I, at least I felt redeemed a little bit. It took Taker about 20 seconds to get that thing on fire. And boom, off it went. If you had it to do over again, would you scratch that whole thing? Because without that lighter situation... That clearly creates chaos, and you don't want that pause in action that you didn't have the rest of the time. Right. It almost kind of takes you out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a pretty badass match without that. Yeah. I mean, Meltzer, even with that, gave it three and three-quarter stars, and I'm not saying that's the end-all, be-all, but I can't imagine how it would be viewed if that wasn't there. Moving forward, we know you did it once on top of the cage, but were you and Taker both backstage afterwards like, Never again. I was deeply apologetic. Uh, and just as you were talking, it's like, that's where Revenge of the Taker comes in. He's got to get that revenge against Paul. And throw to, that flame. To fulfill the, the wisdom yeah. of the title. So I think there was a definite concern that we had to pay that off somehow. Was Meltzer right? Were you trying to get, quote-unquote, hardway juice with a chair shot? Because they're calling it as if it's a cut, but... There's not one that we can really see. Ah, I know it's so hard way shot to the head. I mean, no, I don't. I don't think that was. On I've the never table. even heard of that from a chair. It felt like most of the time I've heard that somebody is doing it over the eye. Eyebrow, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't get because you can hit give the most hellacious chair shot, and it might just result in a lump. Um, yeah, I don't know. The the odds aren't good on it, and uh, you, the, the odds of getting injured are pretty high if you're going to go to those lengths try to get a hard way from a chair so I, I don't think that was in the cards let's talk about the header through the table uh, as a hardcore wrestling fan at the time wrestling fans associate tables with public enemy and sabu here you are on a pay-per-view doing a table spot some guys would say hey wait a minute that's somebody else's thing you took the spot in such a unique way yeah. is that because you didn't want to do the table spot the way everybody else had done it well I think, I mean, I could dig up footage where I was doing tables. Oh, before, before those guys. Yeah, uh, or at least before I saw them do it. Sabu, you know, he took the independent world by storm, and the table was part of his payoff. 
So I'd say, I'd say I'd earned the right to do whatever I wanted to do involving furniture. Oh, I, I yeah. wasn't saying it was gimmick infringement. Uh, I'm just saying in terms of if you know that the yeah. audience at this point had seen it a lot of other ways. Well, you want to innovate a new way. I want to innovate a new way. I don't think that tables have been broken in WWE to a point where it was old hat. No, I you know it still gets a pop these days, uh, but it's been done. You know, there's you and Sean did it in September. And yeah, it. yeah, that was a pretty spectacular table bump. And then on the night of the Montreal Screw Job with Kane, I, uh, I we did a pretty spectacular table bump. You know, from the ring apron, but I had a little boost. From that bottom rope that probably gave me an extra two feet and took it from being a really good bump to something I thought was spectacular and may have been talked about more had another episode not transpired on that same show. Um, but yes, going back to it, I did I did want to do something different. You know, it's my main event. I want to do something nobody's ever done before. And so that was something I felt like I could pull off physically. Um even though I, you know, I'm dealing with that limited hand, but again, it goes back to when I would be driving and just seeing this thing through and thinking I can do it. You know, I've seen it so many times in my head, so that by the time the show rolls around, it's just a matter of making it happen in real life. The spot itself, when you said you're imagining it in your head, you mean the visual of your the bottom half of you hanging out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when do you sort of lay that out for Posner? That's not something you spring on him an hour before. Probably the week before. Probably the... I mean, this sounds silly. No way to practice that, though, no, right? You got no. one table, one take, one let's table. do it. Yeah. Um, how do you make sure you don't go too far and hit the concrete below and hit your head? <laughs> I mean, that's the real <laughs> trick, right? It's not, can we do it? Yes, we can do it. But how do I slow down and not... Never entered my mind, Conrad. Really? No, no. It's like the story that uh, you, you heard me tell uh, at my live show about uh, the wooden crate. Yeah. And uh, Dusty wanted me to put the boots to the wooden crate in order to showcase what I was going to do to Sting's injured ribs. And I said, Dream, I think I could drop a, a headbutt through that crate. And Dusty looked at me and said, I don't think you can. And then I told him about my visualization process. Fifty times I'll see this thing in my head and just three-step approach, go right through that thing. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and says, for the record, I don't think you can, but I'd like to see you try. <laughs> and so when it came down to it, you know, I dropped that headbutt, I go right through it just like I'd envisioned. Never gave a thought to what was going to happen to my head once it went through. And the truth is it bounced like a basketball off of the uh, concrete, you know, I tried to stand up and I failed, fell back down. JR tries to interview me and fails because I couldn't talk. And then he just grabbed the mic and said, Cactus Jack is ready. Um, so I didn't always give as much thought to what happens afterwards, just as long as I get that image right. It's crazy to me, though, that you had that in your rearview mirror, the box spot, yeah. the crate. And now it doesn't cross your mind. What if I hit my head on the concrete? Because <laughs> no. now you're in a title match and yeah. loopy potentially. Um, I believe the table's going to slow down my forward progress enough so that if I do hit it, uh, it's not going to cause much injury. Not too many years ago, there was a big WrestleMania in Dallas, and we saw Shane McMahon jump off the top and go through a table. But we know there was some magic underneath that table. It was, but that was... The only way they were going to let Shane do that. Correct. Yeah. 
there was no magic under your table when you did the header? No magic under it, but Richie, you know, just... I can't tell you what it was that he did. I'm saying it was like a bullseye. He scored it or prepped it. He scored it or whatever, yeah. yeah, so that I was... It just feels like that makes it even easier for you to go through and hit your head on the free. Yeah, concrete, it does. Though. It does. But it was still going to. It wasn't like there was a huge hole in there. Right, like right, I had right. to go through that thing. I just felt like it was going to slow me down enough. And I think. I mean, I, did I go through? I don't know if I had my hands out or not. I hope so. Uh, I'm not sure. But that never entered my mind until. You asked about it. <laughs> well, you know, like even the big bump, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it one day from King of the Ring. Uh, what if you hit your head on that monitor? I know. I mean, there's just so many what ifs. And yeah. When it's over, though, I mean, obviously we wish the lighter spot would have gone better. Otherwise, were you happy with the match? Was Vince happy? Was Taker happy? Yeah. I believe everyone involved was happy. And uh, I have a lot of relatives in that area. They were there. And uh, they were asking me why I had a big scab on my face. <laughs> sure. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by CarShield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before. Whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles, let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic, and CarShield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches. You're taken care of. Same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost, too. Get coverage today, and you'll lock in your price now, and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever that's carshield.com slash podcast a deductible may apply if someone relies on you financially your spouse your child anyone life insurance gives you the peace of mind that they'll have a financial cushion if something ever happens to you by making it easy to compare your options from top companies goliath life helps make sure you're not paying a penny more than you have to for the life insurance coverage you need to protect those you love. At GoliathLife.com, you can compare personalized quotes from top companies to find your lowest price. The process is fast and easy with no hidden fees, upsells, or hassles. Goliath Life is your one-stop shop to find the life insurance you need at the right price. Head to GoliathLife.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's GoliathLife.com. Well, coming out of the pay-per-view, it's announced you'll finally get your match with Sid at Cold Day in Hell. We both know that match is not going to happen. Uh, you interfere in Taker's match on Raw against Hunter Hearst Helmsley with a blowtorch, but you and ta- Taker brawl without using the torch. A blowtorch. My gosh. We're turning the volume up on the fire here. Were you surprised you're doing something with Taker again the next yeah, day? Yeah, I am. Uh, before Raw, Shotgun is taped, and there's a promo you cut with Kevin Kelly. 
Uh, you discuss how Taker took away the one man who had believed in you, Paul Bear. <laughs> you cut a promo on how gutless Sid is, and you scare Kelly away with a lighter and uh, end up talking to a little girl in the front row. And, uh, of course, that little girl is Noel. What a big moment this was for you. Because we at home, we don't have any idea. We don't know, yeah. Oh, wow. What town was that, does it say? Binghamton. Binghamton, New York. Wow. Man, that's pretty cool. That's I, pretty cool. I guess that's her WWE television debut. I, I guess so. I, I'd love to go back and see that. From there, you go back to Japan and perform for FMW. Yeah. Which I can't believe is a real thing. You go back as Cactus Jack. You're teaming with Terry Funk and the Gladiator, who we know is Mike Awesome. You're going to be in a losing effort to uh, Onita, Masato Tanaka, uh, and Wayne Kanemura in a Texas Tornado street fight death match. I really cannot believe this got worked out for you to go do this. And that WWE let me do it? Yeah. 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 Uh, So a lot of people associate me with FMW, but I only did two of their stadium shows. Yeah. In 96 and 97. Yeah, I'm surprised. I remember JJ saying he had no problem with it. Um, I remember the first year uh, they wanted me to wrestle a guy, and I'd heard he may have had hepatitis. And so we just asked for an opponent change. And Wing Kenamore and I had a really good match. And then with a 10-way match, you know, it's like I'm the guy coming into the company that's not, you know, uh, who's not there. Terry had, jo- Terry had joined uh, FMW, which had been, you know, our competition when Terry and I wrestled together in IWA. And in those 10-way match, you're just, you're trying to get some stuff in yeah. that looks good. You know, it's really hard to get 10 people together. And so uh, I was really struggling with what I had seen in an earlier match, which is where one of the young, uh, the female wrestlers had been burned in a match. And just walking by, this was on dark side of the ring, I'm trying to focus on our match. And you could see me actually like walking by and looking, getting ready for a match as they're tending to this young woman who, who I think had, had the singlet kind of burned into her. Oh. So, you know, I don't think they were going with the, the best fire retardant uh, um, outfit. So it just seemed. And you're going like, to have fire in your match. I mean, yeah, Funk is yeah. going to throw a fireball at Onita. He's going to brand him with a flaming branding iron. Yeah. A lot of fire talk today. And it was the only time I worked with Onita in a match. Really? Yeah, it was the only time I ever worked with him. So, Do you wish in, a, in an alternate universe you could have uh, done more? Yeah, sure. I even wish. Uh, you know, maybe in 2005, where Terry and I could have uh, done something to commemorate the, uh, uh, or even 2010, I don't think I was, uh, 20, 25 year uh, reunion, it did enter my mind to do something involving Terry and Onita. And then, the, you know, I think when it time passed me in 2005, it just seemed like uh, the gig was up. So it's written in The Observer that. Your contract is set to expire, and you still haven't signed your renewal. Yeah. You have this lawsuit out against WCW. ECW and FMW are, I guess, your other options at this point. What was your relationship like with Vince? Were you enjoying this? Did you assume you would re-sign? Yeah, yeah, I did enjoy it. I did assume I would uh, re-sign. And it turns out that um, we had our contract uh, negotiation the day after, or maybe it was the day of, 
the uh, the interview with Jim Ross. Okay. I can't remember if it was the day before, and I think it may have been the day after. So I was at a premium when I went to talk, and I remember I had my wife Colette with me. Uh, did, you know, we didn't use Barry Bloom at that time. You know, um, you handled it all yourself. I handled everything myself. I started working with Barry in two thousand one, and it's been a great uh, relationship since then. Maybe it was two thousand, but uh, all these things that I was, yeah, that that ninety seven, I was handling the negotiation myself. Did you? Um not trying to get in your personal business, but did you have a, a goal like, you know, the wife and I would really like to accomplish this in our personal financial lives, whether it's uh, enough to pay off this house or enough to do that thing. What, what's the context of the conversation when you're trying to figure out, hey, what can I do here? Yeah, I uh, $400,000 felt like the holy grail to me, where if I could get a couple years at four hundred. That we could save a lot of money. Looking back, four hundred thousand is a lot of money, but you need to have ten years at four hundred before you can say that you're good. You know, like it's even then. You know, you're with taxes and travel and all that. I mean, I and this is. I know a lot of the country is struggling, and a lot of people listening would love to be in a position where they were making a four hundred grand. 20, uh, 25 years ago. But a lot ago. of folks listening don't also have these road expenses. Right, right. And a lot of the folks listening already have their taxes withheld. You've got right. to do all that yourself. You've got to do all that yourself. And you've got a short window, especially given the style I had and the pain that I was in in, uh, in uh, late 97. Uh, was, yeah, it was, no, late 96 into 97 was incredibly bad. And we talked about that. Yeah. So I'm trying to get a few really good years in before I retire, is what I'm thinking. And there was no thought at that time that 25 years after the fact, you might be, uh, you know, people might be interested enough in your career that you could tell stories about it. Right. And uh, and uh, have some revenue coming in. So I feel like I've got to take advantage of these, whatever, three years, whatever it might be, there's a downside, and it's a and it's a, a contract that goes up every year. So in that final year, I believe I'm where I want to be. So, did you you know you've you've talked very honestly here about I don't know how many more years I can do this style. Right. Did she ever pester you and say, "Hey, what are we doing after this? <laughs> did you have a maybe one day I could do this or that?" <laughs> I didn't think I was really capable of doing much else. I really didn't. So you thought you would, uh, I'm not saying this to be weird, but you would have a more civilian life? Yeah. Get get a gig doing this or that or what have you? I did not. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I, I remember Chris Adams telling me in 86 when I met him that, you know, he was working on the, the Chris Adams fan club. Yeah. And he said, you know, you want to be able to support, you want to be able to accentuate what you do in wrestling by doing other things. So that hopefully at some point you don't have to wrestle to have income coming in. And that sounded kind of crazy to me and limited to good-looking baby faces who could have a fan club. Um, But I was cognizant of wanting to do something, but I had no idea. I mean, there's even the clip when I did uh, Beyond the Mat where I talked about how I wanted to retire at a certain age, and Barry said, and then what? And I said, I have no idea. I had no idea. You know, I, said, I still, I'm so, I feel so fortunate 
that, uh, you know, through Cameo and through Foley's Pod and the conventions and things like that. It's like, and your one-man shows. And the one-man the one shows I've worked hard at. I mean, yes. that uh, didn't just fall into my lap. I worked really hard at it. And uh, I love the uh, uh, Waylon Jennings song, Amanda. And I always connected with uh, a line Waylon Jennings had. Now, I don't know. Don Williams may have written. I'm not sure who wrote that or who sung it first. But it was the Waylon version that I was uh, familiar with. And he said, I, I finally hit 30 still wearing jeans. And I was like, oh, man, I want to hit 30. Like, I want to hit 30 still wearing sweatpants. And here I am. Going on 57, going to be 57 still here rocking in the a few days, still rocking the sweatpants. So uh, that was one of my goals, is just to keep doing it until I was no longer considered a young man. So something else I want to ask about that's a little weird, because I didn't know when you said it that you were going to say it, and I've sat here for a few minutes trying to figure out a way to ask. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to ask the individual's name, but when talking about FMW, you said I had a potential opponent who I had heard had yeah. hepatitis. Yeah. Um, that's a blood and guts promotion. Yeah. Lots of guys are, are bleeding and they're bleeding on and around each other. And it is a real concern. Mm-hmm. And we're not here to point fingers or disparage, but I am curious if you knew that was an opportunity and clearly it was on your radar. Was there any blood testing done? Did you, I don't think so. So it was just whispers and rumors, and you just had to take a hunch. I mean, that's in hindsight pretty scary, is it not? It was. It was scary to be there where um, where HIV was a real. It's still a real, obviously a real concern. But it was fresh in everyone's yeah, mind. Yeah, fresh in, that in era. everyone's mind, right? And uh, blood was still a part of. Uh, some promotions. Yeah. Um, WWE just sporadically. Uh, ECW frequently. But in WWE, I assume there's, I, mean, I don't know, but I assume there is blood testing because they're, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I think they did blood test, right. But I don't think FMW, I don't think anyone else would have been doing it. I mean. Uh, WCW may have been doing it. But I'm, not, I'm not sure. I don't remember specifically being tested I mean, I remember being drug tested, but I don't remember a specific HIV blood test. In that era, you were road warriors. You know, you you didn't necessarily, you played hurt. You didn't tell the office you couldn't make your dates. You didn't tell the office, I got to go home and have sex with my wife. I mean, (laughs) you just, you made your dates and you did your thing. Right. Is, is, would, would, would asking for a blood test, would that have been viewed as, wow, this guy's being difficult. Mm. I don't want to put words into the office's mouths because I don't know what their reaction would have been. Um, but you never asked. I don't think I ever asked. I don't think I ever said, oh, I'm going to this program, I need to know. We should. You, know, we, you should know. But we didn't ask. And it was almost like you'd rather not know. You know, just stick your head in the sand and pretend that problem doesn't exist. Because up until... The cell match, you know, I, I don't think I believed in my own mortality anyway. Like, I understood that I was at a limited shelf life, but I didn't think there was anything. I mean, I proposed an angle to Paul uh, Heyman where I took a full-fledged shot to the cheekbone from a uh, from uh, an aluminum bat. Uh, that's going to be a hell of an angle. One shot. One's got to be good. 
you know, can't be so bad that it destroys my face, but it's got to be good enough that it swells the F up, you know. And that was a risk I was willing to take for, the, you know, that was... A small syndicated a, audience. Yeah, a small audience, $750 payoff, which I was thankful to get. Um, and I was willing to risk my sight for that angle. Damn the torpedoes. Yeah, yeah. So it's written in The Observer... Um, that you're working on this contract renewal, uh, you have this meeting with Vince, you bring your wife in, how does it go? I mean, is it just open and shut? It's one and done in the conversation. Does he say, let me run some numbers and get back with you? Do you, he said he thought he, I do think he wanted to run some numbers. He said, I think you're, he knew 400 was my goal. You communicated that. Yeah. And uh, that was like the promised land. Um, and um, you wound up exceeding that. I'm well, he there was a minimum guarantee, sure. and every year I went well above that, so it was yeah. never a concern. Um, what was the first year again? Not again. Don't give me a number, but the first year where you were like, "Holy shit, this is a lot more than I thought." Well, ninety-eight would have been the first year okay. that I went well over. Uh, ninety-six, you know, wasn't a full year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 96 was like 175, and 97 was like more, uh, like double that, 350, and then 98 just about doubled that. So uh, Terry Funk telling me, because there's going to be a time when someone in this business makes a million dollars. We didn't know it would be Lana, you know, like that was one of those things where you don't, and I, and I really like Lana, but I, I don't know how they ever arrived at the conclusion that she was worth a million dollars to keep around i guess that's the impact of aew on the current product is that the uh, middle of the card guys were talking about how the money was too crazy to give up i mean you think about back in the day women's wrestling even in the attitude era was not a priority no and the idea that there are now multiple women with seven figure deals yeah they've it, come a long way baby oh yes yeah, the yeah. virginia slims commercial says uh, the only time i ever got in an argument with jonathan coachman is where he said something uh dismissive of stacy keebler i guess she thinks she's too big for wwe this is after she did dancing with the stars and i would sometimes dress with the the the, the announcers uh and i i cut a little bit of a promo you know coach you get your insurance paid, you get your travel expenses paid. The women are expected to look great at all times. They're expected to have far more outfits than the men are. And they're traveling the world and they're international superstars making 120 grand a year after taxes. They're pulling in like what people are making, you know, just not, not to knock a normal job, but you're out there and you're traveling the world and you're saving maybe 15, 20 grand at the end of the year. I don't mean to cut you off, but traveling the world makes it sound more glamorous. They're it not does. traveling the world. They, I mean, they are, but they're not seeing any of it. They're not seeing much of the, the world, the, right? They're seeing the interstate for 300 miles a night yeah, and in the middle of the night and eating at a Waffle House and trying to look like a Playboy Playmate. Right. That's a tough deal. It's a really tough deal. And uh, I can, I can uh, either sleep, you know, sleep in my car for three hours, sleep on the couch in the lobby, and get up and go to the airport or go and to still my... still look like Mick Foley. still look like Mick Foley. I'm not disappointing anybody. 
And now they get the guys who scope out the uh, the flights, and they wait there with the official stuff. And if you, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Because if you sign the stuff collectors have, they make fun of you uh, for being a mark, more or less. They call it racking. And if you don't do it, then you're seen as... Uh, too good for the fans. Too good for the fans. And then the women, to make things even worse, are expected to look great at four in the morning. Yeah, they need you to know, look fresh off the yeah, runway. And they've got more luggage because you've got to carry more stuff. Yes. So, look, I wrote this article, uh, I think it was in 2012, uh, and it was, I think it was, it was about the divas, and it was about how much they did behind the scenes and what great ambassadors they were. And that even though as much wasn't expected of them in the, in the matches, they were really workhorses for the company, and I didn't think they were uh, being compensated uh, like they should have. So not to just say this to be a name dropper, but before Becky Lynch became the man, before she got that break that we all thought she was due, she was really wondering, you know, really down on herself, you know, down on the, you know, her, her role with the company, wondering if it was all worth it. I remember giving her two pieces of advice. I said, be patient, be ready. And I relayed to her a story about me being in uh, the Memphis studio. And I was forbidden from talking because I had some of the telltale sounds of a New Yorker, which wasn't good, especially because Gary Young and I had just turned babyface. You know, Memphis crowd would have turned on a New Yorker, babyface New Yorker in a, in a heartbeat. Uh, but what happened is Lance, Gary was a good promo guy. He fumbled a little bit. Lance Russell hands me the microphone, and I was ready with stuff and cut a pretty good promo. So with that in mind, that's what I told Becky. And then I also told her not to, you know, not to give up on the independent scene, that it might refresh her and, you know, remind her what she loved. And I said, if you don't mind me asking, like, what did you make last year? I won't tell you what, what she yeah. made. I'll just tell you my reaction was, oh, well, you've got to stay in WWE. I didn't know that... The, the 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 money it picked up for the women yes. to that extent and like you said now uh, how many women do you think they're making seven figures six or seven uh, I personally know of a handful yeah yeah um, and that's great because it was in '98 when Terry's telling me in the hotel room cactus one of these days a wrestler's going to make a million dollars a year and I think Brett was all Brett may have already been making that with WCW. Uh, Brett, and then Hulk, Hulk, you know, Hogan clearly had Hogan, for years and, years, and yeah. I think Roddy within a, you know was making a guaranteed. But at that time, I was like, "What? Not a million dollars? That was considered to be outlandish, unthinkable money." And uh, good for the women, though. Good for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So in this era, you're on the road beating Phineas Godwin and Jesse James. Uh, doesn't exactly feel like we're headed for main <laughs> events, but there you are. And then in Green Bay, it's it's kind of a historic role. There's a segment with Goldust and Marlena, but they're interviewed out of character as yeah. Dustin and Terry Runnels. Yep. And they discuss Dustin growing up in the shadow of his father, Dusty, their broken relationship, how wrestlers didn't want to work with him, and it leads to him taking on Vader. Um, Vader's going to pin him and challenge Ken Shamrock, who's on commentary, to come into the fight. Uh, and, and now they're going to have a match at the pay-per-view. But... You wind up coming out and helping get Vader and Shamrock separated. Because I can do that. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, (laughs) The Mastodon and the world's most dangerous man. No problem for you. Greatest feat of strength I think I ever displayed was that I held Kane back when he was destroying the locker room after finding out uh, the true nature of his relationship with Uncle Paul. Yeah. And I I was able to hold back Kane single-handedly. The demon from hell. It did that, yeah. So the Goldust interview that he does with Jim Ross, you know, and we're going to be talking about your interviews with Jim Ross, but... It's interesting to think because without those going so well, I don't know that they would have done them with you, no, right? No, If that was a flop, that never happens. We right. never maybe find out about Duke. Maybe we do, but not in the way we did, right? Yeah, I think that was fresh in Vince's mind. This is where all the stars start to align for me. Bruce hears me have the conversation with Shawn Michaels. After the show, Shawn says to me, <laughs> don't take this the wrong way. But is this the way you've always envisioned yourself? Because Mankind was a real dark character at that time. And this was at a time when Sean and I were main eventing house show matches and doing a really good job, despite the fact that Sean's back was injured and uh, my back was still still recovering. Uh, when he said like this, did he mean just like Abdullah and Brozier and guys like that? Uh, yeah, yeah. And it was even a dark, I mean, it was a really, it was different than just, I mean, there were great wild brawlers, but I think he meant the darkness of the soul of that character. Uh, and then I laughed. I said, no, actually, I wanted to be like you. And he looks at me kind of quizzically. I said, nah, not the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, but I wanted to be that guy who got the adulation from the children, the love of the women, uh, the, the respect of the men. And I told him about dude love. And so it just happened that fate was in my corner that night. Bruce overheard that conversation. He went to Vince. He said, and Mick Foley's got a much more interesting real-life backstory than the one we've created, you know, meaning all of us, you know, had a hand in uh, the Mankind character's origin um, and development. And uh, Vince called me up, and uh, and Bruce said, and he's got video to prove it. So in 1985, you know, or 84, I think it was actually actually summer of 83. No, no. 84 is when we did the first uh, the, the first Dude Love movie. Nobody had video back right. then. Like, if you had, the only way to have video is you had to either rent, rent, it was expensive, buying was out of the question for most people. But you would rent this separate apparatus, so you'd have like about a 10-pound camera on your shoulder, and then slung over one of your shoulders, you would have uh, an actual VCR, portable VCR, and then in order to power it, you had batteries around your waist almost like you were batman right with wow. uh with the utility belt because the batteries would last what about one minute two two minutes each right um and so it wasn't as easy to have video as it is now and that was a real bonus you know and then and, and we're talking 97 the cell phones even if they did have the capability they didn't have a good capability right those uh, those primitive moments i don't did we have cell phones in 97 i can't even yeah, remember yeah but it was mostly bag phones yeah I mean, yeah yeah maybe the old paul Heyman style but, but yeah, it, yeah it, it wasn't, wasn't much yeah it's not like it is now right and so vince i think with that report from bruce combined with the success of the gold dust interviews wants me to more fully flesh out my story um, in, with a similar interview. And that's where I say, Vince, look, uh, 
I appreciate that, but I've got a lot of work tied up in this character. I didn't want people to know that it was just a character, right? At that time, we were a lot more protective of what we did to the point where, you know, and I'd go on a you know local news show, I'd do the weather as mankind. You know, you, there's no question you were showing up in character. So uh, Goldust and I would go out for a media day, and he'd rent the uh, the convertible, and we'd turn some heads. Goldust and Mankind. I'm sure of it. In character, driving down the road with the... It is interesting to think, though, you know, that this is very much a departure for the WWF. As we said, they're primarily occupational gimmicks before this. The era of the NWO has ushered in realness. You know, we're not using character names. We really are Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And now here's Goldust. Just a couple years prior to this, the biggest, most controversial gimmick in the game and now, no, here he is without all that, and here's his story. It was a risk. How do you? It, we know it worked out for you. I don't think it worked out as well for Goldust, though, in the long run. I don't think that character really gained the steam after that you did. Well, I remember the long-term character, long-term run, had some great comedy moments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, well, remember when Goldust debuted... That was thought to be the death knell for Dustin Runnels' yeah. career, right? He made it work. He made it work. Um, so and really, I, The Undertaker on someone else probably would have been a joke and in and out in 18 months. Yeah. He made it work. Yeah, he really put his, he put his heart and soul into it. Um, he, you know, Dustin was a unique young man. Uh, he, he still is. He's not a young man anymore. But what a what an amazing career! What a, that you know what a, a a long the longevity of that character, which should have been out the you know done. Sorry, I'm fumbling over my words. Should have been done and gone. He was because he injected so much of himself into it. He made it a success. This episode of Foley is Pod is brought to you in part by AG1 from Athletic Greens, a product many of us have now started using literally every day. I wanted to see what all the hype was about and tried it about three weeks ago, and I absolutely love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It's kind of a mild tropical taste, and I actually look forward to it, but I wanted to know what it is. So what is it? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adoptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery-focused, and aging, all the things Again, I just wanted to see what all the hype was about and wondered, frankly, how it tasted. And I actually really enjoy the taste. I know uh, DDP and some others have been taking it every day and really, really enjoy it. Uh, AG1, it's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free. Look, this contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good and it costs you less than 
$3 per day and you're investing in your health, it's cheaper, trust me, than your cold brew habit, right? Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by a ton of professional athletes and, of course, a bunch of the folks that you listen to here on our podcast. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Foley. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Foley to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athleticgreens.com slash Foley. Wrestling fans, it's time to win with Zinn. Get to WrestlingPrizes.com to register for your chance to win one of four once-in-a-lifetime digital Q&A sessions with wrestling legends Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff, Jim Ross, or Mick Foley. Winners also get an autographed replica championship belt and a prize pack from Zinn, America's number one nicotine pouch. Register once per day, now through July 15th, WrestlingPrizes.com. No purchase necessary to enter or win. Open to U.S. residents 21 and over. Void where prohibited. For official rules, visit WrestlingPrizes.com. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Let's talk about China. Uh, you wind up wrestling Hunter Hearst Helmsley later that night on shotgun. China's going to hit you with three low blows in order to get you to finally break the mandible claw. And I think this is the first time you've worked with Hunter, according to my research. What did you think of him in the ring, bell to bell, in this era? I mean, obviously we know you guys are going to create magic years yeah, later. Yeah. But this is the first time we get to see it and your first, at least on-screen, interaction with China. Yeah. This is when Hunter was still Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the Blue, the Blue Blood. Blood. And that was a good character for me to be working with. Um, this is coming off the interview where mankind starts getting some, quite a bit of sympathy. No, you haven't done the interviews yet. At this so point, these are just heel versus heel matches. But, it, but for her to hit the low blows on you, that starts to feel like a little bit of a babyface deal, does it, it not? It does, yeah. yeah. It may be planting the seeds, right? In answer to your question about Hunter... I thought he was really good as Terrorizing, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Um, and then when he and Bobby Eaton teamed up, um, there was, you know, he was obviously very gifted and hardworking guy who was making that blue that blue blood thing did work. Yeah. You know, it did work uh, to the point where you know he didn't they didn't completely exercise uh, the character. He became Triple H with a harder edge. But uh, trip, it was a it was a good character for that for that time. Especially he had solid matches with everyone, and then when we uh, got together, we had it, we had instant chemistry. So as we know, Sid doesn't return to the WWF for your uh, pay per view match. You're going to wind up working Rocky Maivia at the pay per view, <laughs> and The Rock is not having the type of success that he probably wanted here. Um, when did you find out? Okay, Sid's out. Now they got me working with Rocky. Honestly, uh, I, do, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't recall. It's just special to think back. You know, we know what you guys are going to do together. Yeah. But nobody could have predicted that. No, year. no. So thank you, Sid. Yeah, yeah thank it worked you. out. 
It worked out. Uh, he, he not only didn't want to lose, he felt so strongly about not losing to me, he left the company. <laughs> right? <laughs> Never to return. And he, did he went, we went back to WCW eventually? Yeah, he is going to wind up okay. being back with WCW eventually. Um, yeah, I do specifically remember that match with Rock. I believe it was in Richmond, Virginia. And I remember, like you said, you know, the Rocky character is definitely experiencing growing pains to the point where when he came off the top rope for his finish, which was a flying crossbody off the top at that point, uh, that moment in time, I rolled through the crossbody, and when I came up with the manable claw, the crowd lost their minds. Like, it was a bona fide babyface reaction. And it wasn't like I was a huge babyface going in, but when they thought they were going to see another Rocky Maivia uh, victory and I s- just snatched it away from him with the Mandible Claw, I do remember it felt good. Anyone who tells you, especially a baby, an unexpected babyface reaction, yes. it, feels, it feels really good. Meltzer even commented it was a good finish. Uh, it's Cold Day in Hell in Richmond. Uh, it's the second match on the card. Mankind beat Rocky Maivia in 8 minutes and 46 seconds. The two brawled on the ramp with Maivia uh, giving him a Uranagi suplex on the ramp. Another match with no heat after the shoulder breaker. <laughs> Maivia signaled to the crowd for his finisher, but there was little reaction and, in fact, some booing. He went up for the flying body press, but Mankind reversed the move, rolling with it, and wound up in a mandible claw for the submission. Good finish. During the match, they almost downplayed Maivia's unsuccessful reign as an intercontinental champion, with Jim saying... That night, Maivia beat Helmsley. The better man didn't win. Star and a quarter. And I think it's around this same time <laughs> that Rock gets married. Yeah. Uh, so he's 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 a full-time WWE champ now or, 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 or performer. And uh, back a in star February. Star and a quarter. Star and a, a quarter. star and a quarter. He did not like Rocky Maivia. <laughs> Clear to see. The night before you're here, though, he wound up doing... A match at the uh, Scranton CYO. You're taking on uh, Phineas. And it feels like if you go back and you watch old shooter interviews, there's always a fun story out of yeah. the Scranton CYO. Any good memories working there? Yeah, yeah. There's a reason why we never worked there again. Uh, <laughs> Blackjack Lonza made it a point to uh, address every superstar, with one exception, about the CYS's. Uh, uh, their hesitation, their you know trepidation, concern with the WWE it's a, product. It's a Catholic youth yeah, building. Catholic yeah, Catholic youth center. Scranton Catholic Youth Center. It's a great place for atmosphere. It's not a great place for payoffs because it's a you know two thousand smaller twenty five hundred seater. But Owen would pull some of his ribs there. You know the giant steps where he would cross the ring in two or three giant steps. The hokey stuff like. You could kind of let your hair down at a place like that, but the CYS was really concerned about the uh, the Attitude Era, and Jack Lonza went around to everybody except me because I didn't use any kind of profane language. But that night, this would have been uh, probably '98. It's me and Kane against uh, the New Age Outlaws. I don't remember if Glenn and I had the titles or or uh, the Outlaws did. Doesn't really matter. What matters is that instead of we, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you. Instead of saying it themselves, they put the microphone out. Now I would say that having 2,500 people chant it is every bit as offensive as having one person say it. 
But what I did in that character, I reacted like literal. The same way when The Rock told me he was going to turn that thing sideways and shove it straight up my candy ass. And I said, I don't think it's going to fit, Rock. You know, like, I'm going to take this literally. And then I grabbed the microphone. And I said, Uncle Paul, I don't want to suck it. Don't make me suck it. And I proceeded to say suck it 20 times. So that when I got to the back, Lonzo was shaking his head. He, the cigarette, he goes, we will never be back at the CYS. <laughs> and to the best of my knowledge, we have not. I and don't know. If and, indie, that's, and that's all on you. That's all on me. I don't know if any indie promotions run there. I would think they would because it's such a great venue. That's tremendous. Well, let's talk about the match with Rocky. Um, you know, the month prior, you're working with Taker. And now... We know he's going to be the rock, but he's not yet. You wrote in your book, he had quote, all the attributes of a good guy, but unfortunately he'd come 20 years too late. And although he was a good young talent, no one was buying what Rocky had to sell. You also wrote here, he's a nice guy, but he just doesn't have it. The office probably should have cut their losses and get rid of this guy, which is really great. <laughs> no, the no rock thinks that I said that to the office. Right. I didn't. What I said was to one of the guys, oh, maybe he's just, just dipped this in the bud. But I would never go to the office of and, not. you know, and uh, jeopardize. That was, I, that's some, some, for some people, that is their position to give their feedback like that. I did not feel like that was my spot. So I never shared that, but I certainly thought it. You're also on this same show uh, helping Vader beat up Shamrock and weaken him for his first big match. Shamrock, of course, is going to have quite the task in taking on Vader, and they're going to have a lot of realism in their match yep. and even do it again for FMW. It's mm-hmm. kind of weird that you guys had a working relationship with them in 97. What was your impression of Shamrock, the performer, and what he was able to do with Vader? Man. Well, we didn't know what kind of performer uh, Ken was going to be. Yeah. I, I had not seen Vince Torelli when he right. was doing the stuff in in uh, North Carolina. Um but he didn't have to adapt. Like, he could have forced us to adapt to what he did. And in any way, you would. You would work that into matches. But what I'm saying, he could have imposed his will sure. on any of us. And, you know, when I saw that match that he and Leon had, Leon had worked stadiums in shoot fight. You know, they were work shoots, but they were so stiff and solid and believable he already had the reputation over there in Japan as for being so hard-hitting that it was a believable match. You know, you would probably take more punishment in uh, something that was worked in nature than something that wasn't because you'd leave yourself open for some of those shots to show off a little bit of the swelling. Uh, so when they had that really believable match, I thought, geez, I guess this is what you got to do when you face Shamrock, which would have been a daunting task for... Anybody who didn't have that kind of training uh, experience. And then Kenny, thankfully, adapted to what we did. Because he, he turned out to be a really good worker and a really big part of the uh, the Attitude Era. So we'll go ahead and wrap up here today. Uh, next week, we're going to be discussing your series of matches with Eddie Gilbert in Philadelphia All for right. Joel Goodhart's Tri-State Wrestling. We'll discuss the king, the birth of hardcore wrestling in Philadelphia, and all that goes along with it. But right now, it's everyone's favorite. Oh, yes. All right. Okay. 
We do have someone waiting in the wings. Me, I saw this when I woke up today, and I thought this would be a fun one to do. So we got the dude love stuff here. Of course, we're talking about cameo, boys and girls. Cameo, that's right. And uh, you know what? I am now the first... uh, the first athlete or wrestler to pass 4,000 five-star reviews. Well, how about that? No one, no one else even approaching 2,000. So thank you for all of you who made that pro- possible. And we are offering, for uh, the listeners of the show, 20% Cameo discount when you put in Foley, capital F, Foley 20. So capital F, Foley 20. Just put that in. You have to go to the website, which is cameo.com slash Mick Foley. So don't use the app. Don't use the app anyway because it just takes so much of the profit. It doesn't make it nearly as much fun. And uh, we'll do. I'll do my best I can to put a big smile on your face. Same type of smile I'm going to aim for with uh, Emily. All right. We are ready for action. Put a green screen back there. Hello there, Emily. Emily, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and this video is being featured on Foley's Pod. Uh, it's the wrestling podcast that's sweeping the nation, right? Uh, yes, sir. My host, uh, Conrad Thompson. Yeah, there we go. We are looking good. And I am so excited to bring you uh, this birthday greeting from Adam. He wants me to let you know how much he loves you, and how you are his everything. She tells me you are the best mom to Tyler and Daniel. And I know uh, Daniel was recently diagnosed with diabetes, but uh, things have changed a lot from when my cousin Doug got it. And, uh, man, there was such a mystery around it. No more finger-pricking every day. Uh, And I know you being a great mom, this is just going to be a bump in the road of uh, motherhood. You're going to do a spectacular job. Uh, Adam said that you um, had a rough winter. So what I'd like to do is present to you a little something that is going to put a smile on your face. Not a temporary fleeting smile either, but one's going to stick around for uh, the rest of the day, maybe even to the next month. There's a story behind the story. This is one I originally sang for my daughter, but uh, I have a friend here, Face of Foley, was changed the words to suit the times. I think you're really going to enjoy it. This guy, sometimes known as the hippest cat in all the land, he is. <laughs> Ow! Dude love Emily. That's right. Not dude love Emily, but dude love, comma, Emily. And I'm here to turn that frown upside down and put a smile on your face with the words that go something like this. Dude just wrote them a while ago. Oh, Emily, oh, Emily, dude's wishing you a happy birthday. Oh, Emily, oh, Emily, dude's wishing you a happy birthday. I hope it's fun. I hope it's nice. If there's a cake, save dude a slice. Oh, Emily, oh, Emily. I'm wishing you a happy birthday. Yes, dude love sending you those birthday greetings. A peace, ow, love, and understanding the heartfelt hope this birthday will be the mellowest, the grooviest, the happiest one of them all. Ow, have mercy. Oh, my goodness. What a tour de force performance. 
What do you think, guys? A winning performance? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And when I did this before, it was for my daughter, Noelle, and I turned, and she wanted to meet Britney Spears. I tried to make that happen for her with the song, Oh, Britney, oh, Britney, won't you please meet my daughter? Oh, Britney, oh, Britney, won't you please meet my daughter? You dance so nice, you sing so well. Oh, won't you please come meet Noel? Oh, there you go. So uh, that's dude love. <laughs> and then when Noel had the chance to meet her, yeah, she was too scared. Never happened. It's never too late, though. Emily, it's never too late to turn that frown upside down either. And hopefully, you've done the task. Remember this: Adam loves you very much, and you are his. Everything. Have a nice day. Ah, that uh, right there is how it's done. This is the hardcore legend. Man, Emily got something pretty special there, and you can too. Cameo.com forward slash Mick Foley. Use that promo code Foley twenty capital F. O-L-E-Y-2-0. Yeah. Get a special little deal just because you listen to Foley's pod. And How thanks again to all of you for getting me over 4,000 five-star reviews. It's, uh, there's only uh, three other guys. In the, I think uh, Cameo has 30,000 celebrities. And there's only four of you who have Yeah, 4, I think there's four reviews. that have hit 4,000. And I'm the only athlete slash wrestler or wrestler who's done it. So really proud of that. You should be. And uh, by the way, we hope we've earned your five-star review. Drop us one on iTunes or anywhere you enjoy pods. And tell your friends about your new favorite podcast. And tune in next week. We're talking about something that I don't think enough people have heard about. Eddie Gilbert. Um, he's one of the great what-ifs of wrestling, at least yeah. in my mind. Yeah. What do you think we might be talking about next week, Mick? Oh, man. Well, we're talking about the feud I had yeah. uh, for Good Heart Promotions. And also... <sighs> This is at a time um, my wife and I have been together for several months at this point, not years. She's helping me believe in myself, and I've got the perfect guy in Eddie Gilbert to make progress with. And uh, just I think that 15-month window that I was away from WCW uh, did incalculable good for me. And we'll be talking about that. Can't wait. It's next week right here on Foley is Pod.